man who wishes to be called Mr. Regan sits across from another man. His name is Wilcox, or so he says. He has a rather large bodyguard standing about a foot taller than him. His eyes are gazing over the other patrons of the afternoon lunch crowd at the bar and grill where they chose to meet. It's a warm Tuesday afternoon, a lot warmer than it should be for an April in Brooklyn. They are finalizing a rather interesting deal. So, that's all, Mr. Regan says. That's all. One click and in ten seconds, we have a deal, Wilcox replied. Mr. Regan sat for a moment and contemplated what he should do. He reached down and clicked the enter button on the man's laptop. He has officially transferred $10,000 to this man for an unspeakable product. Very good, Wilcox says and rejoice, extending his arm over the table. We have a deal. Mr. Regan reaches over and shakes the man's hand. So, what do I do now? We'll contact you in less than 24 hours with a location. Wilcox explains, then closes the laptop and walks away, his bodyguard following close behind. Mr. Regan sits for a moment, goes into a deep thought, until he too finishes his beer and leaves the restaurant. The next day, Mr. Regan is sitting at his desk. He is a professor of English literature at the local community college. He has given his students an exam, and he impatiently sits, waiting for them to be done. He taps his pencil on the desk and stares around at the top of the heads. Thirty or forty anxious young adults, uncertain of what life is or where they are going. He taps his pencil, impatiently waiting, and then his phone vibrates. He picks it up, and it's an email notification from an unknown sender. 1565 Cooper Lane, 8 p.m. is all it says. He knows he's not supposed to reply. His heart falls into his stomach as the overwhelming sensation comes over him. He feels both elated and anxious. Suddenly he comes to a conclusion within himself. None of these students matter. 7.50 p.m. that night. Mr. Regan has been sitting in his car outside the address for almost ten minutes. He's just holding onto his steering wheel, staring out to the road. 7.51. The only movement he makes is looking at the dashboard for the time. Why has he been sitting here for so long? He's filled with uncertainty, and perhaps shock, that the address led to a house. He expected an old warehouse or something other than this basic setting in an obvious quiet neighborhood. He expected an old warehouse, or something other than this basic setting, in an obviously quiet neighborhood. 7.52. Time won't stop. Mr. Regan stares at the clock on the dashboard, hoping that it would go backwards at least. He tilts his head up and takes a deep breath, and stares out the window at the house again. 7.53. His phone vibrates in his pocket. His nerves are shot, making him jumpy, as he struggles to get the phone out of his pocket. It's a text message. Are you coming in, is all it says, from a number he doesn't know. 7.55. They know he's been here. There is no more waiting. It's time to go in and face the decision he's made, regardless of its consequences. Welcome! Wilcox answers the door with a huge smile on his face, his gold tooth flashing out of his mouth from the glare of the bright lights in the room he enters. Mr. Regan steps into the house. He admires the grim green walls and approaches a doorway into another room, where three men, unknown to him, are sitting around a folding table and chairs, 
ashtrays, cigarettes, and playing cards scattered across it. He stands in the doorway like a child and stares, not saying a word. Are you ready? Wilcox sneaks up behind him and whispers into his ear. Yeah, Mr. Regan replies, slightly startled, but also hesitating. Right this way! Wilcox gestured towards a door at the further end of the room. Mr. Regan passes the table, glancing down at what the men are doing, and notices a gun hidden in the jacket of one of them. They all stare at him as he shuffles past towards the wooden door. It's colored white, with paint chips falling off to expose its original wood. Wilcox opens the door, the knob making a rusty clang, and the wood creaking as it opens slowly. Wilcox enters first, as they head into the basement. It was only lit by a single light bulb suspended in the center. Sitting in the middle of the room, strapped to a chair, directly under the light bulb, a man looks up at them, a gag in his mouth, and he looks up at the two men with tired eyes. So what do I do? Mr. Egan asks as he approaches the bottom of the steps and stares at the man in the chair. Whatever you want, Wilcox whispers. Then he steps slightly behind Mr. Egan and slips a Beretta into his hands. The cold metal meets the tips of his fingers, and a chill crawls up his spine. This makes it quick. In case you just want the rush you were looking for, he whispers into his ear and makes his way back up the creaking stairs. Mr. Regan stands there, facing the unknown man, and he feels quite concerned. Does he really crave this rush? He sees a chair off to the side, picks it up, and brings it in front of the man, and sits down in front of him. He puts the Beretta on his lap, reaches over it, and attempts to take the gag out of the man's mouth. The man flinches his head away. It's okay, Mr. Regan says. I want to talk to you. The man in the chair reluctantly leans forward, and Regan removes the gag and tape from his mouth. The man's expression has now shifted to more of a confused look, as Mr. Regan crumbles up the tape and tosses it to the side. How do you know I won't scream, the man says, his thick Russian accent coming through. I don't, but I can tell you it won't matter. This house is pretty isolated from what I saw outside, and, and I doubt anyone would hear you. What's your name? Mr. Egan asks. Why do you care? It doesn't matter why I care. I want to know your name. Mr. Egan replied, tilting the Beretta from the rested position on his side to aim more towards the man. Victor. Well, Victor, my name is... I don't give a shit what your name is. Just do it already. Mr. Regan lifted the gun up and now aimed it directly at Victor's face. You don't seem like the type that wants to die so quickly. And your obvious aggravation towards the current situation is making me a little agitated as well. What do you want? I want to talk. So talk. Good. Now we're getting somewhere. Mr. Egan now pointed the gun away from his face and placed it on his lap again. So, Victor, why are you here? I don't know. No, there there has to be a reason. I mean, there's no checkbox for this kind of thing on a medical form or a donor card. Clearly you must have done something wrong. The two men sat in silence for a moment. I owe them money. How much? Too much. This is how I repay them. Do you have a family? What does it matter? Because family matters. 
I have a sister. Can she live without you? She hasn't spoken to me in years. I might as well be dead. Family will always be family. Mr. Regan's attention drifted away from Victor to the floor as he stared off in thought. I had a family once. A wife and son. They, they were taken from me a long time ago. I'm sorry. How could you be? You didn't know them. You didn't kill them. For some odd reason, I thought this was what I needed. I... I needed to kill someone. Anyone. Didn't matter who. To feel like perhaps I could have done something for them. I wasn't there when they needed me most. Her name was Beverly. My son's name was Andrew. They, she was taking him to a store just to pick up some stuff for dinner. Two men had entered the store to rob the place, but they must have just been kids because they didn't know what they were doing. One of them got really trigger-friendly, I guess. Well... Both of them died. Victor looked at Mr. Regan. You see, I thought killing someone would make me feel better. Maybe if I was there, I could have stopped them. Or, or at least died with them. Maybe I do need this. Victor's head shot back from the impact, and the chair he was strapped to landed on the floor. Regan sat there and started to breathe slowly and deeply. not enough. I need more. Mr. Regan stood up and stormed up the creaking stairs, swinging the door wide open. Wilcox stood directly in front of it and startled him as he approached the landing. Well, that took you long enough. Wilcox attempted to speak, but was silenced by a bullet to his head. Mr. Regan then took the gun and aimed it at the four guardsmen before they could react. Each of them were too slow. After a brief moment of basking in the room of blood and dead bodies, Regan began to make his way over the carnage and out the front door. He stopped at the steps leading down to the pavement and sat down on the first step, blood splatters all over him, and behind him was a house full of dead bodies, dead from his hand. He looked down in his hand and realized he still had the gun. thought that would be enough. I'm sorry. <laughs>